the stomp around the block for us was getting a bit of exercise, getting a bit of fresh air, because we've been inside buildings all day, you know, in, in areas where there's lots of disinfectant and, you know, constantly cleaning and, and getting out into the fresh air, getting a little bit of exercise and being with good company that made all the difference for the both of us. This is Julie, and you're listening to episode 12 of Paws, Claws, and Wet Noses. Today, we're going to spend time with Dr. Vanessa Johnson. Vanessa's a proud new aunt to her baby niece, Maggie. She has two guinea pigs and a cat. As you'll hear from Vanessa's accent, or as you heard at the beginning, she's not a Kiwi. She left her family and friends in Canada to come to New Zealand eight years ago to fulfil her dream of studying in New Zealand to become a veterinarian. And she's lived here ever since. Vanessa is a recent Massey graduate with three years experience and she now works in a very busy South Auckland practice as their full-time companion animal veterinarian. When Vanessa's not working, she keeps active at the gym and she enjoys learning Japanese and watercolour painting. Dr Vanessa's partner is a nurse who's about to undertake the daunting challenge of med school this month. Well, depending on which month you're listening to this, right now it's this month, February. Vanessa believes that having a great support network and forming good mental health habits is instrumental to success. Today, we're going to learn of some of the good mental habits that Vanessa formed and the benefits that she's noticed from having them as part of her life. She shares what she does when she notices thoughts of imposter syndrome, negativity, and the importance of keeping a gratitude journal as part of her everyday life. Hi, this is Julie South, and you're listening to Paws, Claws, and Wet Noses, the Kiwi Veterinary Sector Podcast. If you're a Kiwi veterinary professional, then stay tuned, because this show is for you. Each week's podcast is purpose-built to help you grow your veterinary business, yourself, or your life. You can find all the show notes and links mentioned in today's show at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. I started off asking Vanessa, why did she come to New Zealand to study veterinary medicine? So it's funny you should ask that. I have a mentor back home. I'm from Vancouver and he's Canadian, but his, I think it was his, his mother or his father that was Kiwi and he had always wanted to be a vet and he went to New Zealand um, and was able to be a domestic student through the, the Massey program. And I went to shadow at his clinic and it is I mean, it is still very competitive at Massey. Coming as an international student, it is less competitive than it is back home in Canada. And he was telling me all about the program while I was seeing practice there. And I'd always wanted to come to New Zealand. 
And it was sort of the difference between going to New Zealand or trying to get into a vet school in Saskatoon, which has negative 40 degree weather and wind chills. Uh, the decision wasn't that hard. <laughs> it's easy to have preconceived ideas about what something is going to be like. I wanted to know whether God's own Aotearoa New Zealand was what Vanessa thought it would be like. That's a good question. I think it was a lot more similar to home than I was expecting it to be. The people are very friendly here and accommodating and um, open and warm, similar to Canadians back home. So I didn't actually experience a culture shock per se. It was, it was sort of like I was coming to home, if that, if that makes sense. Kiwis would like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing is I haven't left, right? I've been here eight years and, and it is my second home. I love it here. As with everything in life, it's really easy to take a lot of things for granted until they're no longer around for us to take for granted. And it's only then that we start to appreciate what we had. Today, lots of things are measured or compared before and after lockdown or before and after the pandemic. One of the things that Vanessa noticed that she missed during lockdown was the human interaction with her patient's owners. She shares how she got around this and also having to turn people away during Alert Level 4, which was emergencies only, was very hard for her. Vanessa thinks that telemedicine is under, underutilised as a consult tool. She shares some of what she regards as its limitations, as well as the upside of including telemedicine as a means of consultation. I think it was very difficult during that period of time because we were having to excel the way we practiced and um, in such a different way. So having to not have, we took that face-to-face -face interaction for granted, I think, in, in the first little while. And just having to adapt very quickly to this new normal and, and still getting that communication and connection with clients without being able to be with them face-to-face. -face. And so how I would try to get around that was even if I was on the phone I would try to come out to the window and wave at them in the car park just so they could see a face um, that was treating their animal. And I think it was a very difficult period of time. And I think Dr. Rose touched on this as well, that there was a lot of times we had to say no. And that was during alert levels four and three, where we were just taking emergencies and having to turn people away that we really wanted to be able to help. And I think that was, that was really tough because as veterinarians, we're very empathetic, caring people and we want to be able to help everyone and, and not being able to do that was, was definitely a challenge. The other thing that Dr. Rose had touched on was the catch up that we had to do coming out of lockdown as well. All those routine vaccinations, those dental procedures, um, those dogs with itchy skin you know we were fully booked and just absolutely at capacity with our consults those first few months and I even think we're going through another really busy spell at the moment too um, the other thing I think 
is that we're trying to utilize teleconsults a little bit more. And I think we've been using them in practice for sort of managing, I think a really good example would be managing dogs with and cats with itchy skin. They've been on you know, a particular medication and you're just, we would get the owners to email through some photos and we'd have a discussion with them on the phone about how things are going and kind of that also I think is, is underutilized and an area that I think is going to develop in the next few years for sure. Do you think it will ever get to video consults? I, I hope so. I think the, the part that you can't really replace is, is palpation and touching the patient and feeling you know, the abdomen or listening to the chest of a dog or a cat. I think those are things that are really hard to, uh, to replace. But I think that it would be, I think you're right. I think it would be really valuable to have those video consultations. And um, I think at this stage they're underutilized, but I think, I think uh, definitely something in the future that um, I hope more practices as well as mine uh, start to start to look into. And with photographs, you're relying on the, um, the, the good photography skills. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I do tell my clients, can you turn the light on or can you, (laughs) can you give me a photo with and without flash just to, get a and if I am ever concerned about what something's looking like I will just get them to come in for a consult but yeah sometimes I even get animals if they've had um, surgery and I just want to and they can't get to the clinic and I just want to see how a wound is looking get them to take a photograph of, of a wound just to make sure um, that it's that it's okay and and generally how are clients with that they're actually, I've had, I don't think I've had one that has said, no, I don't want to do that. They've been pretty good. I mean, it saves them a trip. And I think they do really appreciate that follow-up and care. And post-COVID, we've also really been utilizing booking in um, phone follow-ups for clients as well. And just checking in, you know, even if we've seen them for an appointment a previous day, just checking in and seeing how things are going. And yeah, just for our peace of mind, really, as well as the clients. And is that something new? Is that a post-COVID? I think journey? we've, I, I, on my impression is that we've just been utilizing and doing it more than we did before. And, and who knows, maybe it's because we've gotten so used to talking on the phone <laughs> and, and it's just something that we've started to do more frequently. As I'm sure the most listeners will agree, when the going gets tough, we put on our game faces, we turn up at work, and we do what needs to be done, because we have to. And sometimes, because there's no one else. That's the public persona we have, the face or the mask that we put on each day. But what about when we get home, when we don't have to wear that mask? What was alert level four lockdown like for Vanessa? How did she, 
the Canadian woman whose family was in a completely different time zone and hemisphere cope? And what about the rest of her team? I actually don't know. I'm not sure how they coped with that. I know that um, they would have a glass of wine <laughs> at the end of a, a busy shift. And you know, they were lucky they were self-isolating with um, their families and, and their partners. I think it was a very difficult time for myself because I was self-isolating in a new flatting situation. I was self-isolating completely separate from my partner. My family is over in Canada and they're still in a lockdown there and not being in that bubble with my support network was, was quite challenging. How did you cope? So I did have a flatmate that I was, that was really, we're still very great friends and something that we would do because she was, she was working at Middlemore. So she was an essential worker as well. And after our shifts, we would get home and we would call it our stomp around the block and we would just vent. And, you know, we'd, we'd take 10 or 15 minutes to vent about our day and just talk through the challenges of our day. And, and then, you know, we'd kind of sometimes even do talk about, you know, what were the, dark spots of the day and what were the light spots and and what do we have to look forward to putting that positive spin on things even if you've had a terrible day being able to come up with one thing good thing that happened can really shift your mind out of that negative focus because it's very easy to go there how did vanessa maintain her sanity during alert level four when everyone was learning not only what the rules were, which was emergency medicine only, but when life as she knew it had been drastically altered, but yet when she was still expected to be present and professional. The stomp around the block for us was getting a bit of exercise, getting a bit of fresh air, because we've been inside buildings all day, you know, in, in areas where there's lots of disinfectant and, you know, constantly cleaning and, and getting out into the fresh air, getting a little bit of exercise and being with good company that made all the difference for the both of us. New Zealand has collectively been holding its breath over the last couple of weeks of late January, early February 2021, wondering whether the community cases of COVID-19 are going to result in another national lockdown or regional lockdown. Auckland already went back into lockdown while the rest of New Zealand was business as usual back in August last year. I wanted to know how Vanessa found going back into lockdown in August and what was it like back then? I think we were a lot quicker to, I think our adaptation to the situation was a lot quicker because we had gone through it already. And I think clients were a lot more understanding the second time as well. They knew what to expect. And um, yeah, the majority of the clients, even through the first and second lockdown, were incredibly understanding and and patient. Um, But you could tell that there was some 
you know, like I said, strain from just having a bit of uncertainty with, with their jobs and, and, and the stress of that as well as having a sick pet and not being able to be there with a the vet while they're being examined. Paws, claws and wet noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.au NZ. So that was then, and this is now. What is life like now? Do we truly have a veterinary shortage, or is it all just words? Basically, what I've noticed, particularly in the past few months and throughout the very busy Christmas period, is that I'm having, and I've had this several times, where clients will come to me and they are so appreciative. They say, thank you so much for seeing my animal. You're, I've tried two vets already and they said that they, they couldn't see me. They were too busy. And, and those clients are noticing the veterinary shortage, which just speaks to how much of a problem it is. And we're kind of facing that critical level and it, and it needs to be addressed. And, and I'm so thankful that you are um, an advocate for us and, and doing what you can to, to help get vets. Sometimes it's not always possible for a patient to get into their regular clinic and they need to knock on a few doors to get an appointment. Vanessa talks about what it's like when she's the second or the third veterinarian involved in a patient's care how she's had to spend time at the weekend swatting up on notes so that when the patient visits, she's got an idea about its history. But sometimes that's not always possible, which adds a whole new level of complexity and pressure to the treating veterinarian. When we see a new client, we want to get all of the previous history from the other vets. And sometimes if a second or third opinion is booked in with me, I will try to get all the records within, you know, the last five or so years and I will comb through them on the weekend or if I've got some downtime at work, just to make sure that I know everything in this patient's history so that I can provide the best care with, with that knowledge. So I had a third opinion case a few weeks ago and there was two or three vet practices notes that I was reading through <laughs> and, and just jotting short summary points uh, within, because sometimes those histories will be 40, 50 pages long and, and you just sort of need to jot down the, the main points to, to be able to provide yeah, the best care that you can for when They come in and it kind of can guide the questions that you ask that pet owner as well. So when somebody, for somebody who doesn't understand, when, um, you know, I want to take my fur baby to my regular vet and he or she can't 
can't see me because they're just too busy. So they're going to tell me to go down the road. So I make an appointment with you. Mm-hmm. How much advance notice do you want so that you've got time to organize the records? Ideally, at le- and it also depends if we're already within consults as well. So sometimes we don't have that luxury and we get the notes. And, and a perfect example of this would be when we've got patients that are transferred through from the after hours vet. And so we might see them first thing in the morning, you know, when the after hours clinic closes, they get transferred to us as soon as we open our doors. And we've got maybe about five or so minutes to read the records, or sometimes we even have to read the records in front of the client. Um, So we don't always get that luxury of of time, but it is very important to be able to have those records, you know, either during the consult or, or before examining that animal. So this is adding a whole new level of complexity to what you're doing. Yeah, and, and sometimes I've had cases where we haven't been open on a particular day, but I really wanted to make sure that animal was going to be okay. So I called up another vet clinic that was going to be open on a Sunday and said, this is the animal I have. They may come to you tomorrow. And I just want to make sure that uh, and I'll email the notes to you in the event that they do turn up just to make sure they get that continuity of, of care and the vet that they do see does have a, a wider understanding of what's been going on. Being a veterinarian is stressful. The stress is probably not something that most parents of fur babies have given much thought to because you don't know what you don't know. They take their pet to their favourite clinic and veterinarian when they can get in and they're greeted by a smiling, willing, capable friendly and fully competent team. But ask any veterinarian and they'll tell you the stress is real and it's only getting worse. What strategies has Vanessa adopted into her life to help her keep herself and her life on an even keel? So there's a few strategies that I implement and I do want to preface by saying that you know, I haven't mastered the art of <laughs> maintaining my mental well-being. I think it's an area that every vet struggles with in, in some way or another. And these are a few things that I do. Do I do them all the time? You know, probably not. But they are things that I try to do as often as, as possible. And just to be able to have those really good daily habits those being, I think the biggest one for me is exercise. And the reason why I say exercise first is I find sometimes when I am at work, and I think a lot of that struggles with this, is that imposter syndrome and thinking that you're not good enough. And and you think to yourself, well, maybe this patient would have been better off being managed by someone else. And when I go to the gym or I exercise or I run that negative way of thinking is never in my focus. It's really interesting. And and maybe it's something just personally to myself, but I find that I'm always, I'm confident. It's like, I have an alter ego. I'm confident. I am happy to be there. 
I'm working really hard and I can congratulate myself and implementing that exercise multiple times throughout the week is, is sort of one of my dominoes. If I don't start doing it, that's when things start to slip and, and having that positive mindset and that way of being, if I can have that, you know, three, four times a week, I hope with time that's going to translate over into um, some of the stress that I deal with at work. The other thing that I do, my sister actually a few years ago, she uh, mailed me over a gratitude journal. Have you, have you I, used one before? Yeah, I, I started um, about 10 years ago. And it was, and, and you said it earlier, you know, just thinking of one positive thing that happened. Yeah. yeah. So mine is you have to think of three things that you're grateful for in the morning. Then you have to have a personal mantra. So I'm calm, collected, confident, whatever it is. And then you, at the end of the day, what are three amazing things that happened today? And even if it was the most stressful day, you know, you've, you just can't possibly think of something. When you write those things down, even if, even if you feel like you're in a negative frame of mind or you feel exhausted, it's training your brain to look at the positive. And I think that's so important and keeping with that daily, that it's a five minute journal, that daily habit, I think is so, so important, important. And while I'm at work, two things that I do try to do is if I look at a consult and sometimes my mind starts to race and I think, okay, you know, you think it's booked in as this, well, what if it's that, or what if it's an emergency, your mind just starts to kind of go into overdrive and you just kind of have to collect yourself, take a few deep breaths, reset, and then go into that room, repeat that mantra, and then, and then go into that consult room and greet the client and, and just recharging and, and resetting. And I try, I don't always do it, but I do try on my lunch breaks to get out of the clinic and go for a walk and think of a few things that I can hear, see, smell, coming back to that um, that mindfulness is this something is this a covid strategy that you've implemented or have you played with it in the past i've definitely played with it and i think i've been implementing more of those strategies post covid because of how stressful that period of time was for myself and I guess the analogy that I think of is, is some people have to particularly watch more what they eat than others. And the same goes for mental health. Some people have to pay more attention to their thoughts and the things that they're doing in their daily life for their mental well-being than others. You, you said that when you you find that when you um, are on the treadmill or whatever it is that you're exercising, that this alter ego, Vanessa, comes out. Yeah. 
how long did it take you to recognize that running on the treadmill produces the state, this mental, this positive mental state? I think, I think it, I started to notice it because it, in the beginning, when I go on the treadmill, I'd, I'd think, Oh my goodness, I'm so tired. You know, I've, I've got this many kilometers left to run. And then that's when I just started to kind of tweak those thoughts a little bit and, and, and turn them around into a positive frame of mind and think, well, look, you're, you're almost there and look how good you feel and how much better you're going to feel afterwards at, at the old gym I used to go to, they had something on the, the door before you left. And I think it said uh, something to the effect of, um, I didn't regret that workout <laughs> something like that and and that really really spoke to me I never regretted running on the treadmill or, or doing those things and it, I think it did take quite a bit of time to come to that realization that that I did have that alter ego with with going to the gym and I sometimes actually have that as well an emergency if it's something that I've managed before and I know how to do it I I get into that zone. I take a few deep breaths and I get my team together and I say, here, let's go. Let's do this. Have you shared those techniques with your team? The- oh, no, actually I haven't. Okay. I should, I really should. Um, another question is when you, okay. So let's say you, you exercise three or four times a week. And maybe life just gets in the way for a week or so and you can't get onto the treadmill. How long is it before you notice that you start slipping? That, that would I would slip. Um, but for you, it might be something different. So if it was me, I would have to, okay, I'm starting to slip here what's different how when do you notice when do you realize I haven't been doing that and that was what kept me healthy I think sleep I think I don't sleep as well when I'm not exercising so when that when the exercise starts to go the sleep starts to go I get irritable anxious and these sort of things start to build up and they're kind of giving me subtle or sometimes not so subtle alarm bells. And that's, that's when I know that I have been slipping and that I do need to um, pencil those things in to, to really get myself back on track. And do you schedule them into your, your diary? Yes. And I also have an amazing friend to keep me, the one I was telling you about earlier to keep me accountable as well and she'll message me, we're going to the gym tonight. (laughs) I really like how Vanessa's team handles client complaints, not that they happen very often, but the system she and her team have in place supports all of them in being able to strategically remove themselves from the heat of the moment. Something that I found quite good within my team and, and how they can support, how we have been supporting each other is that having the two other vets, we do often discuss cases with one another. 
but another way we support each other is when we get a client complaint as well. And I find that it's a lot easier to advocate on someone else's behalf than to advocate for yourself. And having that other professional call up the client, listen, empathize with the situation, and then explain what the attending veterinarian did, that can often um, lead to a resolution. And the client also gains another vet's sort of objective frame of mind. Is this a COVID implementation a COVID, or has you always done it? Yeah, we've, our team has always done it. And, and it's been, it's been really great to have each, you know, each other advocating and, and also um, being able to conflict resolution, you know, resolve things with, with clients as well. I think that's really important. And what that also does too, is it takes you out of the heat of the moment. Mm, the person going in and, and doing the, the presenting on your behalf hasn't got all of the emotion mm. that goes with it. Yeah, and I think that's another thing as well is the other vet that comes in and addresses this situation, I think they may come across as more genuine because they're not trying to, you know, um, cover, I guess it could be seen as covering themselves. So I think, yeah, it's, it's something we've implemented in our team. I think it's, it's a, something that's really helped kind of tackle you- those. Have you found your, um, neg- I guess it, it's, it's negotiation, it's conflict resolution, active listening as well, you know, when you're reflecting back what the other person, have you found that all of your, your as, a, as a team, that your, your team dynamics have benefited as well? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we through that, have learned a lot about each other it's it's been great having that support for one another how do you decide who's going to call the client so I think it comes down to really who's there that day so like I said uh, one vet works a day and a half a week and they so the other two vets don't work with each other so if it happens, we get a complaint one day and say it was about me, it's, it's whichever other vet is there on that day. Yeah, we've, we've done that for each other and yeah, it's been really great. We've talked about your stress as a veterinarian and there's also, and Dr. Rose talked about it as well, there's... Um, Stress at the front line when receptionists or nurses have, you know, you get somebody walking off the street and they want an appointment or they ring up and they want an appointment and you're fully booked. How do you think stress management is for your team, including those aspects as well? The stresses that you've noticed in, in your reception staff that, that weren't there pre-COVID but are now? I think we've been under a lot more pressure with the volume of clients that we've been getting through our clinic. 
the walk-ins and, and just not having the time of the day and wanting to help these people, but not having any space. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier about how you have to sort of set boundaries for yourself and, and your staff, um, again, to be able to provide the best care that you can to the clients that are already booked in, um, but also for the staff as well. How do you determine those boundaries? What, what is a thinking process that, that goes through your head? So what I think about is how long is it going to take me to examine this animal? Is it going to need treatment? Do I have, if it's just me by myself, do I have time to follow through and provide that treatment or provide those or perform those diagnostics, whether it be bloods or x-rays, or do I have a 15 minute slot and fully booked consults where I can't provide the best care to that patient? And, and that's where I, I make that decision. And it's, it's either if they've called a few clinics and I'm their last option, sometimes I do even have to call up my own clients. And if it's, it's a non-client and say to my clients, we've had an emergency come in. I'm so sorry, but can we push this until tomorrow? And, and just doing, you know, it's that problem solving and, and doing the best that we can um, with what we've got. And I, I guess one of the, the very hard, I think for me would be, I've got half an hour in my lunch break and I could see this walk-in in my lunch break, but I know I need to take time for me because if I don't take time for me, then I'm not going to be any good this afternoon. And then everything kind of dominoes. Absolutely. And I think it, it depends on what comes through the door. If it's an emergency, I'm going to see it. And we try to schedule a break later on or push other routine consults to the next day so that I can have at least 15 minutes. Sometimes that's not feasible. Um, if it is a walk-in and it's something that's routine and, and not urgent, then my receptionists are really great at saying, we can book that in for later in the afternoon or tomorrow. And, and that does um, set those boundaries too, that, that people can't just walk in and, and be seen right away. But it all depends on the, on the situation. And, and if it is, you know, if it, if it is a matter of life and death, then you don't even think about no. yourself. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not even I, a consideration. You just jump in. You just jump in. Yeah, absolutely. What is your biggest stress right now? And what do you think the solution to that could be? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I think the biggest stress for me at the moment, so I have been working at this practice not the September that's been, but September, 2019, I haven't taken any annual leave. <laughs> so I think it's, I have been wearing a bit thin, you know, with how busy it has been. 
um, I, I have really noticed that I am getting fatigued. So that's, I think, in itself been, been stressful. And the solution to that would, I do have a week booked actually in a few weeks. That was Dr. Vanessa Johnson being very candid, vulnerable and honest about life for her as a veterinarian through 2020 and into January 2021. She and I recorded this show mid-January, so hopefully she's gotten to take some of that annual leave that she mentioned and has had or is enjoying now a much-needed break. Here are my six takeaways from this chat with Vanessa. I'm really interested to hear what was most significant for you and what particularly struck a chord in your life which you might adopt. At the top of the list and back in the beginning, Vanessa talked about exercise. And I'd suggest, challenge, invite you to design your own version of a stomp around the block as your way of decompressing at the end of each day. One of my New Year's resolutions this year is to get back into yoga again and to walk around the block. Through January, I averaged a walk every second day, which is better than every third day, but it wasn't most days. With the yoga, I found a calendar on the internet which has all the months for each year in words, January, February, etc. And then each word is divided into segments according to the number of days of the month. So January had 31 or has 31 segments, and February has 28. I decided that every day I would do at least 10 minutes of yoga. That was my goal. And then I would color in a segment for that day. The idea is to have each month fully colored in. I'll upload a photo of that on the show notes page of paws, claws, and wetnoses.fm so you can see what I'm on about. And I'll also have a blank PDF available there if you want to download it and use it in your life. Some people might think that it's childish, but as stupid as it sounds, it's actually quite motivating. There were, well for me, (laughs) there were a couple of days in January where it was only the thought of having a white gap in my word for January that motivated me enough to get my 10 minutes of yoga in on that day. So my takeaway number one is exercise. Number two is to find someone to share the ups and downs of your day every day with. If you live alone and feel uncomfortable sharing the good and the bad, then record your day in a journal. I know it's not quite the same as having somebody to talk with, But it gets it out of your head, it gets negativity out of your head so that you don't get to dwell on the bad stuff. It allows you to clear the cache of your mind each day so that you don't get bogged down in the icky stuff. Number three is look for the good every day. Start your own attitude of gratitude journal. Like I mentioned to Vanessa, I've been journaling for years and years and to start with I told myself I was too busy to waste time writing in a journal and then what would I write about anyway? There were days when I didn't know what to write. 
so I wrote how stupid I felt writing about nothing. I was surprised at what actually flowed from there. Now I journal each morning with a cup of coffee. I make a point of listing of listing at least three things that I'm grateful for in my life. Usually I do it as a reflection of the previous day. Some people like Vanessa, they journal at the end of the day and they write about that day that they've just had, the present day. Sometimes for me, I actually struggle to be grateful for three things. Sometimes all I can think about are the fact that You know, when I look back, when I'm looking for something positive, sometimes it's just the fact that I got the washing dry outside on the line and didn't have to resort to the clothes area inside. Or that I got to eat dinner at a reasonable time and it wasn't at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Stupid things. Insignificant things to anyone else. But for me, when I looked, they were a positive for my day. But I always look back for three good things. And I've been doing this for years now. I believe that it has helped keep my mind mostly healthy. Like Vanessa said, some people have to watch what they eat, which is me. Others have to watch what they think. I have to watch both of those. Takeaway number four, stay tuned to the thoughts going through your head. Reset your brain when you start to hear imposter syndrome type self-chatter going on. I'm really conscious of what I allow, in air quotes, allow into my head. We don't have a TV in our house and we haven't had one for years. Do we miss it? Nah, we don't. Also, the radio is very rarely on. There's no background noise, no white noise. Some people find it strange and maybe even uncomfortable when they come to visit because it's just so quiet. They've gotten used to that now. But both of us, my husband and I, are very conscious of the drivel that's on the airwaves. All the bad news, the doom and the gloom. I actually don't want that stuff taking up space in my head. When I'm driving, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm selective about what I allow in. I want the words that fill my head to be good quality and educational. I do a lot of learning listening to podcasts. I guess a parallel to this could be someone who only eats organic food. Now, I'd love to be able to afford to eat only organic food, but I don't. Instead, I feed my mind with healthy thoughts. Takeaway number five, get away from the clinic at lunchtime. Get some fresh air so you can mini recharge during the day. And you'd be surprised at how energizing a simple walk can be, especially when you don't feel like doing it. That's when it's actually the most important thing that you do do. Even if it's pouring out with rain, make sure you've got a change of clothes with you, an umbrella, whatever you need. But get out there, plug in your earbuds, turn into a podcast or something that's motivational for you and get out and get some fresh air. It really will energize you and make a difference, a positive difference for the rest of the day. Takeaway number six, distance yourself from customer complaints by sharing those around your team and having other other people advocate for you. 
So thinking, think about having a practice at your place where the people in your team don't try to defend their own customer complaints, but instead advocate on behalf of another team member. Like Vanessa said, it allows people to distance themselves away from the heat of the moment. I think this is such a great idea. Now, do you have any of these strategies in your place or your clinic? Do you have variations of these? If you do, I'm sure that other listeners would be really interested to hear what they are. So please feel free to comment or send me an email, julie at vetstaff.co.nz. Thank you for listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you let us know by leaving a review on Apple. It makes such a difference in helping others find the show. I'm sure you know how the algorithms work. If you like listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, you can subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast at, this episode at, by clicking the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, etc., wherever it is. That way you'll never miss a future episode. If you have a topic you'd especially like to have covered on an upcoming episode, then please let me know and I'll schedule it in. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vetstaff. If you've never heard of Vetstaff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vetstaff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, vet staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz. Mm-hmm.